the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel is on special assignment today, and we are delighted to welcome Peaches Hall as our guest co-host. Peaches has been on before. She's the director at the uh, Doris Griffin Retirement or, or Senior Center. Right. Doris, I'll get it. Doris Griffin Senior Center uh, over by Ingram Park Mall. And in her previous life was director of a memory unit here and similar work in Florida. And we're delighted to have her on board as well. Uh, On this show, we talk about caregiving and caregivers and the challenges and issues that they face. And at the senior center, Doris, uh, at the Doris Griffin Senior Center, Peaches, you you have folks come in uh, sometimes with their caregivers. Mm -hmm, We do. Um, Thank you for having me. It's always so much fun to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, we do, and the the nice thing is that there are, uh, are families that will do that. They'll come in and spend the afternoon with them and, and get to see really what their level is. And sometimes it's not that they can continue there, but for the most part, we're really good with that. And the socialization is important. Oh, a- amazing, yes. Uh, socialization, especially during mealtime to me, to think that there are, there are people that are at home and having a meal by themselves, but here there's, you know, you're among 250 friends. Now, we live in a world where uh, people very often become caregivers uh, without notice. They wake up one morning and they're a caregiver. Yes, right. uh, and in the case of our very special guest here, uh, delighted to welcome Rabbi Sam Stahl, Rabbi Emeritus at Temple Bethel, and his wife, Lynn Stahl. My wife, Jean, and I are members at Temple Bethel, and Sam is one of the first people I met in San Antonio. He probably doesn't remember this, but I arrived as a talk show host in 1991. I'd been here about a minute and a half and got a letter from Sam welcoming me and inviting me to come to Temple Bethel. He figured out I was Jewish, uh, and I've been a member there ever since. And then I worked with Lynn at Jewish Family and Children's Service, where I was the executive director, and uh, she was one of our counselors and did a wonderful job there, including starting a, a support group for people who have lost their pets. And the reason that was important, and, and Lynn, first of all, welcome and thank, thank you for being you. here. Uh, people who lose their pets, and, and they're often a caregiver for that pet for quite a while because they uh, fall into uh, ill health and they have to provide all kinds of care, uh, and then the pet dies. Most people, if you don't have a pet, right, Lynn, don't understand what are you grieving about. Absolutely. It was just a dog. Right, exactly. And I think that's part of the problem with the grieving for the one who loses the pet, that not not only have they had this loss, but then they're sort of just dissed and, and um, not given the appropriate support that they would have if they'd lost somebody else a human being that was significant but for many people this, the pet was just as significant as sure a loved one would be as a human being well and unlike humans they greet you with love every day that's right exactly <laughs> yeah <that> unconditional <laughs> no. love yeah. right you know the bumper sticker i wish i was as good as my dog thinks i am right. yeah. <laughs> and you know and especially because so many of our seniors have already already lost family members so who do they turn to now but they do have that person that that pet with them all the time and when you lose that, then you just really lose your identity, too. Now, one of the reasons, uh, Lynn and, and uh, Rabbi Stahl, I wanted you to join us here on Caregiver SOS On Air, uh, folks uh, who are caregivers often feel like they're the Lone Ranger. People who are listening uh, may not understand or realize there are so many people in our community uh, who are working as caregivers. And uh, in, in the case of uh, Lynn, you and Sam, uh, at one point uh, a couple of years ago, Sam became really seriously ill. Right. It was four years ago, actually in October, that he scratched three mosquito bites 
and ended up with 40 days in the hospital. Mm. And um, in that period, he had a 90-second death that, thank God, they brought him back and so forth. But it was intense, um, and we are so profoundly grateful to be here today and um, living our lives with profound gratitude every day. Because the two of you have, because you never know on the inside, but from the outside, you've got a great relationship, a great marriage. You uh, spend summers going to neat places, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you're the caregiver, and you were worried about him making it. I I remember because uh, you posted on that website where people can track friends who aren't doing well. Right, Caring Bridge. And it's wonderful. So, so you don't have to take all those calls and get all those messages, but you're able to communicate. Uh, and from the beginning on Caring Bridge, uh, I didn't know if Sam was going to make it or not. Right. It was a strange experience because I would write a report maybe at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, we've had such a, you know, Sam had a good night and everything's wonderful and we're making progress. And 4 o'clock that afternoon, things would go down and meanwhile supported friends like you Ron and so forth would be writing we're thrilled with the progress and there were days when I wouldn't read the reports the um, specific right. uh, notes to Sam because it was not any more relevant and and it's such mm-hmm. an up and down and Dr. Ricky Wayne um, our kids pediatrician who was so phenomenal during kept saying to me Lynn this is a marathon this is not a sprint and you've just got to be ready for the marathon what were you okay. thinking when uh, all of a sudden he scratches three mosquito bites and boom the bottom falls out. It was, it was, you know, I keep saying to my, I mean, because we've gone through illness with other dear friends, I kept saying the good news with me or with us is that I never knew what the next day was going to bring. And thankfully, I didn't know because sometimes the next day was disastrous. And um, I am a positive person and I try my best to wait to worry. Um, but I really never knew how much importance there is in just staying in the moment. I mean, in the moment mm-hmm. was critical. So, um, and it was, we had amazing, amazing communication throughout it. I never felt like I, you know, wasn't knowing where Sam was. Now, I did withhold a few things from him. When, for example, the doctor told us that he may lose his leg because he developed this flesh-eating virus and so forth that was just awful. But um, we were very, very, and I spent most nights at the hospital with him. So What hospital was, was he at? Well, he, st- he was 23 days at Northeast Baptist and then 17 down at the um, select unit at the uh, downtown Baptist. And um, so it was, they were, both places were wonderful. So I want to ask, because you sound so lovely, like you just held it together the 40 days. Did you ever get cranky? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, I'll tell you, the most desperate, desperate night was Sam had been in ICU after this episode of um, Flesh-eating bacteria. No, flatlining, oh. Oh, yeah, and right. so forth. And he got out of the ICU, and our kids had been here. They came instantly, the minute, and so forth. And I really thought things were going to get better. And he went through this panic of not being able to breathe. And so he didn't sleep, wasn't it, Sam, from, like, Friday afternoon till Sunday night and was afraid to sleep. Yes. And it was... And I literally, I called a psychiatrist. Fra- afraid to sleep because you didn't think you'd wake up? I couldn't breathe. I was afraid that if I went to sleep, I would die. Mm. And, and, I, and I couldn't get in the right position where my catching my breath was easier. See, his lungs were filled up. That's the, with the, fluid. With fluid. That is what happens with infection because everything goes to pools to the leg where the wound was. And meanwhile, his lungs were all... And I had said to... Um, the pulmonary specialist the morning that he flatlined, I don't think he should go into this hyperbaric unit. Oh, he's fine. Don't worry about it. And that's when everything happened. But this is now a week later. And um, we'd had three days, well, two and a half days, as I said, I brought in a psychiatrist. I brought in somebody who I had met at Jewish Family Service to try and help with uh, mindfulness and meditating. And finally, um, Sunday night, when things were... I was, I, I don't think I got cranky, I got panicked. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into the bathroom, I'll never forget this, I went into the bathroom and changed into my night clothes, 
and I said, okay, I took a breath. God, I don't know what else to do. I, I just have to turn this over to you. I, and I kind of been in and out of trying to trust, but not really just surrendering. And I walked out, and an angel walked in in the form of a nurse. And she said, well, the psychiatrist just called and said, would your husband like to take such and such a drug to help him sleep? And I said, Sam, do you want to get it? And he said, I'll try anything. And that was about 9.08. And by, not that I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 9.08.30. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. <clears throat> and by 9.18, he was asleep for the first time since Friday. Wow. And I spent the night kind of, you know, watching, listening, but he slept. And that was like the wow. gift. And the next night, we were on our way down to the, re, uh, the, the select rehab place. So Actually, it was my uh, recovery was in two phases, you know. First was the Northeast Baptist and the Select. Select was far easier. Uh, my breathing problems were pr- pretty much resolved by that point. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Peaches Hall, pinch hitting for Carol Zerniel today. Our special guests are Lynn Stahl and her husband, Rabbi Sam Stahl, who went through four years ago a very serious medical episode uh, following in Noah's footsteps 40 days and 40 nights of suffering uh, from what started out as three Cellulitis. mosquito bites. Cellulitis. Yeah. Cellulitis. Yeah, yeah. That turned into a flesh-eating virus. Yeah. Right. And six surgeries. Because with cellulitis, one usually uh, uh, undergoes a treatment of antibiotics. In three, four days, one is finished. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, You couldn't do it the simple way. They, no. <laughs> no. The, the formula, they had a great deal of difficulty coming up with a proper formula for the antibiotics, mm-hmm. you know, the cocktail. Until they got the proper formula, I was going down, down, down. Wow. Yeah. But Dr. Carrie DeWitt, who is an infectious disease person, just saved our lives. Well, we had wonderful doctors. We had wonderful doctors. Right. I have nothing but high praise for both hospitals. Yeah. It's it's easier talking, of course, about it now, four years later, you're saying, and you sound so calm, but I know that so many caregivers are listening right now saying, it is not going that easy for me, but it wasn't going that easy for you either. And you just somehow, luckily, you had family that you could, you know, have the support, but there are places and people they can reach out to to get that same support. That's right. That's right. One of the things that I learned, being the control freak I am, is I stopped trying to do it all. And when a friend would call and say, what can I do? I'd say, well, could you bring me lunch? I mean, mm-hmm. I never before felt comfortable. No, you were the one bringing people yes, lunch. Yes, exactly. And um, it ended up being win-win because they felt good. And I, you like, learned to ask for help. I really did. And I, um, it was... Well, I was desperate. Yeah. 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 And so many people are at that. We have the program, the SOS Caregiver Program. And so some people are alone or don't know which way are in that panic. And they you just you freeze and you can't get through it. Hold that thought. Come right mm -hmm. back to you. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m. The answer will pick up the story of uh, Sam Stahl, 40 days and 40 nights of cellulitis and worse with Rabbi Sam Stahl and Lynn Stahl here in our Caregiver SOS on air studios. Peaches Hall pinch hitting today for Carol Zerniel. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You know, just when you think life is going along great and this is never going to be a problem in our family, I'm not going to have to be a caregiver for a desperately ill husband. Bam, it happens. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, pinch hitting today for Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. 
Lynn Stahl and her husband, Rabbi Sam Stahl, in our Caregiver SOS On Air studios. Uh, and, and you asked Lynn Peaches uh, right before uh, we did a little business at RN, uh, did you ever get cranky? And there was a reason you asked that question. Because you know about cranky. Yeah, well, thanks. So um, my husband has some health issues, and this year they were, they were huge. And so there was a good four-month period that I found myself being edgy and, and cranky. And I finally figured it out. One night I was getting ready for bed, and I was like, well, gosh, I'm a caregiver. Gosh darn it, that's what's wrong. And so I had to regroup and ch- start to think that way. I am so fortunate that at the Doris Griffin Center, we don't have any secrets. So the members constantly are coming up just hugging and saying, how are you doing? And making me talk about it and looking at it. And, you know, everybody just puts their arms around you there. So it makes a huge difference. Hey, and Lynn, in your case, one of the things that uh, you were saying uh, off air uh, is that uh, you were afraid. Yeah, I would say that fear was more of a um, overriding issue and um, wanting to, I, I mean, you know, not knowing. But I will say, I never, people say to me, you know, after Sam had this 90 second flatline, did, did I worry that he wasn't going to make it? I never worried that he wasn't going to make it, but there was a concern of um, what kind of um, would life he be we Sam? would have. Would well, he be Sam? And how, how would he? I mean, the interesting thing is when he woke up in ICU after um, this whole thing happened, um, he wrote me a note what happened because he, he was intubated and so forth. And I explained him what happened and so forth. And so he wrote back. He said, I guess God has more work for me down here. And I kept thinking, huh. will he be able to be doing this? Will his mind be clear? Who knows? You know, the unknown. But again, you know, we have so little control, even though we have this um, mirage that we are in control of things. Now, were you in his room when his heart stopped? No, it, he was in a um, hyperbaric unit, which... Um, where you didn't think he should go. Well, I... Let the I, record show. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and actually, when he would go into that, it was usually about a two-hour kind of a deal. Right. So that would be... And, That's and where they for, pump you full of oxygen. Yes, right, and, right. right. wound care. It's right. for wound care. It was for the wound care. And so, and as he was coming, but I, every time he would do that, I would use that time, and I really would say this to every person listening to this who is a caregiver, I would leave, and I'd go home and shower, and I would go for a walk, because I needed my body to be able to um, move. I also took the stairs in the hospital. I, I tried to do, so meanwhile, I was gone when this all happened, and I got back to the hospital, <laughs> And um, went zooming up to the floor where he was, and somebody met me and put their arm around me. Well, then and you knew. You knew right away. I knew something wasn't right. And, you know, I remember <laughs> there was this well-meaning um, chaplain wh- whom we had not really connected very well with. And he was sort of following with his shoulder ha- <laughs> hand on my shoulder, and I wanted to say, Please, I just want to hear the, give me the message. I, you know, so I think sometimes we don't, you know, it, it's interesting what we who are standing by don't understand what caregivers need. And, and everybody's and different. Everybody's different. Yeah. And our connection with people right. is different. Right. And so some people are just remarkably intuitive mm-hmm. and others um, want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. He really meant well, but it was just not <laughs> he had the best time. That so so how did you get the story then? <laughs> Finally, they tell you. And I, I would, as I'm walking up into the ICU um, unit, they explain the whole thing. And um, it was, I don't honestly remember the words, but I remember hearing, you know, there were 25 people in the area and they brought him out and he's, we're going to, you know, he's going to be, on you know in ICU for a while and and so forth and um, guardedly um, and I'm going to put a plug in here for something called the Patient Institute. Um, Dr. Adam Ratner started this uh, several years ago and it's to help patients and their families navigate the system and they're doing all kinds of education and so forth. But I I called him because he had already made himself available and and I, and he came over. 
And so he was able to interpret for me what was going on and, and so forth. And I think one of the things that caregivers frequently don't have is somebody who can explain what is going on in lay terms. And so he was incredibly helpful in certainly calming me down, but then giving me the messages of what I needed to know. Well, one of the folks that uh, we work with, in fact, do another radio show uh, with Elizabeth Lutz from the Health Collaborative in Bear County is health literacy. And that's really what you're talking about because they're not communicating to you. They know what it means, right. but it's not reaching you, and you needed to know. Yeah, exactly. And then he became an advocate, and then Dr. Amy Lang who is just a dear friend, an oncologist, but she came right over. And so those two people were invaluable. Um, and not everybody has that luxury of finding someone who can interpret the medicalese, you know, when the doctors are, and the nurses, too, are so overworked. When did you realize, and, and Sam, you as well, that uh, you were on the road to recovery, that, that you're going to oh, make it? I think that morning after he'd had a good night's sleep. That the morning that we went down. So nine oh eight, he goes to sleep. Yes, nine oh eight, and he woke up the next morning. The surgeon, who was phenomenal, did four of the six surgeries, I guess. Um, he came in around six a.m. and I said, "How?" And it was dark. He always came in, and I said, "How do you think Sam's doing?" And he said, "I don't know. He he looks." what's a DOA or whatever. He looks kind of DOA to me. What is it, dead on arrival or something? And I said, but he slept all night. He said, well, his leg is fine. I'm worried about the rest of him. So I wasn't worried at that moment because we'd had a good night's sleep. And we really were, and he didn't wake Sam. And I don't think you woke up that morning until like 8 or something. It was like an 11-hour gift. Um, and then the day became... You know, it was like, that's the thing with our bodies. I think if caregivers can somehow or other trust, I mean, things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And not every story at all has this phenomenal an outcome. But the human body is remarkable, and I hope that for your husband, Peaches. Thank you. I mean, Thank you. you know, but, I, but, you know, you were talking earlier about um, that you have to, and, and not everybody has the faith. You know, that's not their, their path, but for you it was. And even you struggled with giving it and, and trusting. Cause, right. And that's mine because I'm much more comfortable with my problems. I say always, I'm going to give this to the Lord, and then I'll say, I just need it for five more minutes. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, <laughs> so, you know. And, and from your standpoint, uh, as the patient, uh, you spent so much time as a rabbi visiting people and families in hospitals. You have... Uh, been to hospice, you have done funerals. What was it like for you to be a patient, uh, knowing that uh, I'm assuming you weren't sure it was going to work out? First of all, I want to pay tribute to Lynn oh. for her exemplary caregiving. She was remarkable in every respect. Oh. And uh, I, I could not have gotten through it without her support, her help, her love. Uh, it was... Uh, eye-opening for me to see the problem from a patient's perspective. And I also learned that sometimes when I think I was being helpful as a rabbi, I wasn't being helpful because there were some clergy, I didn't want to see visitors, and some of the clergy insisted on coming anyway. And I didn't find their visits helpful because I was, I didn't feel like putting out, I didn't feel like being gracious. Uh, it was an effort for me to to reach out to people at that point. I was I was just too miserable. So sometimes I've learned now, you know, sometimes a, just a one minute hello, how are you, and walk out, and that's it. That, that's enough. Just, just to, to show touch. you're concerned. Just to show you're concerned. I had just to become it, the, the also uh, touch is very important. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, to have a physical. Contact with a patient is always very important, not just to stand by the door like what a couple of our doctors did and uh, <laughs> reported to us from the door. You know, it's very important to have that physical contact. Sam, you're yeah. looking okay. We'll yeah. see you later. Yeah, one doctor diagnosed the hernia that way <laughs> in the emergency room. It has so, nothing to do with the man eating. No, 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 no that's no. a different. That's a different incident. Oh, that was a funny. minor. That was a minor problem compared to this, but. Uh, I learned a great deal about giving care after receiving care. 
Interesting. Yeah. And you? I was going to say I had to become almost the um, the visitor police, and it was very uncomfortable because some of these people uh, are so well-meaning. But I'd say, you know what, honey, why don't you close your eyes, and so-and-so and I will walk outside and we'll talk or we'll visit. I mean, it, and I'd be sitting there seeing that this had gone on and on and on. And um, it's it's a it's a really – have you had that experience, mm-hmm. Peaches? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. What in your case? Well, in mine, I, I whenever time we go to the ER or we go to the hospital or she admitted, I usually don't say anything to anybody because it's a calming time for me to, to you know, pray and take uh, uh, everything in around me, get calm, and then go back in because he takes his cue from me. If mm-hmm. I look stressed or upset, you know, his, his healing is not as good. That's true. Mm-hmm. And when you had folks come who come for – uh, let's assume all the right reasons. Right. They, they want to show respect right. and right. love and right. care. Uh, do they get upset that you really think it's better that they leave? I think, I think you know, you t- I tried to do it with, um, I just would say something. We're like, always you know, gracious. He's exhausted and you're wonderful to have come and so forth. But we put out the message, you know, no visitors. It was clear yeah, on yeah. Uh, certainly the, the right. communications we yeah. got. Good. Right, exactly. It's just because say what you want when people come. Other than those closest to you, there is the need to put out and right. and make them feel grateful that you came. And Sam didn't have the energy to take, you know, I mean, we sat for hours and hours, hours and hours, never talking except when somebody would come in the room, you know, a nurse or something. So Stick with us. We'll come right back to you. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer, I'm Ron Aaron. Pinch hitting today for Carol Zernio, Peaches Hall. Rabbi Sam Stahl and his wife, Lynn Stahl, is here. Uh, radio is not her favorite thing in the world, but you're doing a great job. She so we're is. delighted to have you on board. She's killing it. You're, you run the risk of being invited back. <laughs> Stick with us right here on 930 AM, The Answer. We are so pleased you are with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Peaches is pinch-hitting today for Carol Zernio. This show is available on podcast. You can download it, share it with friends and neighbors, ship it out worldwide, put it on your Facebook page. You can do a whole lot of things with it. And most of all, uh, you can listen to some of the experiences that Rabbi Sam and Lynn Stahl are talking about in terms of her experience as a caregiver thrust into uh, caring for Sam, but for a can of off, he probably would have been fine. Three mosquito bites, right? That's and boom, right. there he is. That's right. And Now you got off everywhere. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm neurotic with uh, scratching, so certainly. But I, I have to say, um, it, even though it was at the time four years ago when the West Nile virus was rampant and so forth, Sam had had um, – th- I wasn't a, a foreigner to caregiving because he had had prostate cancer um, 11 years ago and bladder cancer um, six years ago. And with the bladder cancer, he had been on BCG, which is tuberculosis, that is injected to uh, help with the uh, treatment. And I think that certainly impacted his immune system. So not everybody, as he said, who gets cellulitis goes into such a... Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to frighten people. And you spent time caring for your parents as well. Well, yeah. My uh, mother is 99 and fortunately so far wonderful. My dad just died at almost 102. And our daughters have... um, One daughter had breast cancer eight years ago and another daughter a year ago had kidney cancer. So um, I've been very, very, very grateful that I've been able to be there for these... You know, those these five people whom I care about more than life itself. And how do you deal with the stress? You mentioned uh, mindfulness and, and trying to uh, get, get a sense of being at peace with yourself. What do you do? Well, I think that's one way I deal, I realize this, is that I sort of um, put things off in terms of worry until later. And it impacts, things impact me later. But I do my best to keep staying in the moment. And when I get off of it, you know, and start going into, oh, what if, God forbid, you know, something happened to our daughter and we're going to have to raise four children? Or um, how am I going to deal, you know, with the bills that Sam's already, you know, which we've fortunately worked on? When those thoughts come, I just say, thank you very much, mind. This is not (laughs) helpful. And get back into the moment. 
And so I think being in the moment and then the other main thing for me, and, and this is so, so individual, is that when I forget to trust there's a higher power, I'm in big trouble. So the minute I feel like, remember, you can trust that this is going to work out the way it's meant to, whatever that is. Um, it seems to take this huge load off of me. And I feel grateful that I have that faith. And in terms of uh, your daughters, how did they react to their dad's illness? Oh, they were fabulous. They were absolutely fabulous. Um, The one on the West Coast with the two children came in, um, and she herself is, is very spiritual and so forth, and helped immensely, spent the night you know, so three I could, she spent three nights in the hospital with you, so I could sleep at home, and the other mm-hmm. with the uh, four children. I mean, they all came when he had his, in, you know, when he flatlined. Um, they called, you know, they were. I just never felt unsupported. Yeah. Do you have any recollection of? Uh, when your heart stopped, is there anything that uh, you remember? I, I say this because I remember I'm on the radio. I interviewed uh, a woman who'd written a book about uh, seeing the light, and she talked about oh how she went down this long tunnel and she came out, and there's a table, and Jesus and all the apostles are there. And I said to her, you know, isn't that a kick in the pants? Your heart stops. You're about to die, perhaps, and it's only guys who are deciding your fate. <laughs> She did not think that was funny, <laughs> although I did. Uh, and, and in your case... So uh, anyway, uh, I think the most disappointing thing people hear is that I didn't see anything. Right. I and, think that's true and, of most people. And Lynn said it. We were together at a, um, a meeting one night. We were talking about this incident when I came back to life after uh, 90 seconds of being dead. Reanimated. Reanimated, resurrected, whatever term you want to use. And I said, uh, she said, I was disappointed you didn't have a story. I said, I'll do it again. (laughs) Did he say, I'll do it again? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No, because at that, I mean, during that period in the hospital, I was reading one of those books about life after life. Really? I really did. So I was sitting there waiting. Oh, my goodness. I'm not discounting the phenomena, but I'm just saying that it didn't happen in my case. Right. I understand. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, I mean, thank God. I mean, maybe you have to be gone, because we have a very good friend who's Jewish, who didn't see Jesus and the apostles. She saw (laughs) something that would be light and so forth. And, I mean, she, but she was gone a lot longer. I mean, you know, or I don't know if she was flatlined, but, you know, so, um, and the people who've written these books have been in comas. Right. So, you know, Sam was not thankfully no, in that. No, he was not. Right, right, right. He was not. And, and you'd yeah. rather he didn't do it again just yeah, to see. Yeah, believe me, believe me. <laughs> the wrong title. Yeah. So, no. in terms of uh, recovery, uh, we all share uh, mutual friends and acquaintances. Uh, Marty Wender, who's been very public and been interviewed, so I'm not violating any confidences, who had a very serious episode uh, with severe burns. Right. Uh, and, and his wife, Renee, who uh, has been a caregiver for her parents in the past, and then uh, for Marty, his uh, road to recovery ha- has been incredibly challenging. And I saw him uh, at uh, uh, services the other day at Temple Bethel. Right. He is, um, I mean, you've got to get them on the show. I'm going to put a plug I'm in. I'm working on yeah, it. Yeah, because um, they are an amazing team. And Renee, um, the great news with Marty, it's a miracle. He doesn't felt no pain through these burns. Mm-hmm. I mean, something worked. That, wow. And Bamsey was absolutely phenomenal. He, he was yeah, under unbelievable pain. And Renee was, I mean, she's an inspiration to any human being who knows her. And I would love for her to be uh, able to, I mean, she, I asked her, I said, you know, what got you through those first four months when he was in, it was so touch and go and so forth. And she used the word patience. And she'll she'll huh. talk more about it. But she said, I realized I just had to be patient. And I guess um, I think that is important. That, um, but you don't strike me as being very patient. Well, um, no. <laughs> and um, that is definitely not one of my attributes. That was a telling laugh from yes, your husband. Yes, right. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, again... Um, did I think that we were going to have 40 days in hospital? Of course not. But as I said, not knowing was great. 
If somebody had, see, if you have a certain diagnosis, like, God forbid, some terrible kind of cancer or something, and they say, well, you're going to have, you know, five weeks of radiation, and then you're going to be on, you know, I mean, everything was laid out for us with the um, breast cancer with that daughter. our daughter had. And um, so I had some preparation. I journaled a lot during um, those all the time, and that helps me. I don't know. Peaches, did you, do you write? Because writing for me is helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I would just, I would recommend that to, if somebody feels like, and you don't have to be an Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to, you know, sit at the computer or whatever and just get your feelings down. There were sometimes I deleted them. Yeah. Um, That's just, purging for me is to write it and to get rid of it. Yeah, right. So Now, did you, during this time, everything else in your life stopped? Right, exactly. In fact, my mother was having a 95th birthday that we had planned in Chicago. To She had been born and raised in Chicago, and we were all going up there to go back to her elementary school and see where she had gone to University of Chicago, and, and the whole thing was planned. And um, that was the weekend before everything got so bad with Sam. So um, my kids didn't go, um, my sister and her husband, and they went. And I, you know, what could I say? We weren't there. Right. I would planned the whole thing. I mean, there were... A million things that happened because you know all of us have busy lives, and it was just I would and I realized after with each event that I didn't get to, it's okay. So I missed an event. I mean, when I think about how we invest so much hope and energy into things and put pressure on ourselves. Yes, exactly. And the main thing I wanted was each day to somehow or other see Sam get better. That became and so nothing else was on my schedule. You know. And, and the the thing that's wonderful uh, is how strong your marriage is because some folks go through this uh, and their marriage suffers. Yeah. No, I, I, we don't take it for granted. We just had our 50th anniversary. And oh, I, Yeah, well, I keep saying we're on our 10th marriage, Ron, <laughs> because we've changed that much. I mean, you know, we're in the same bodies. Yes. But um, we have he's certainly allowed me to do my weird things and um i mean this life after life show yeah (laughs) life after life right exactly (laughs) but we really wouldn't you say honey that it's uh definitely we are not the same people we were 50 years ago yeah there's been evolution (laughs) the theory of evolution yes it's true in our case right (laughs) i really think that's a secret of a, a positive relationship is allowing each one to develop and change because otherwise and to accept the change of the other right and maybe even celebrate it and celebrate yeah exactly exactly i said to my kids if you marry someone and say to them five years later you're not the person i married Thank that goodness. yes right you can't you know but on the other hand the worst thing any of us can do is think well if i marry them then they'll change to be what I want. Yeah, what kind of ego yeah, that's, do you have? Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, in terms of change, Sam played a major role in, in a change in our marriage. Uh, after we adopted uh, our, our three children, Carter, Kennedy, and Reagan, he agreed to do a naming ceremony. And at the time, Gina was a non-practicing Catholic, my wife. And Sam was comfortable with that but said, uh, I'm happy to do this uh, if you agree to raise your children Jewish, which, of course, we agreed to. A year later, she converted. (laughs) (laughs) So she really understood the importance. Yes, exactly. So that that played a major role. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's I think the beauty in a relationship is um, in having enough trust in oneself to not need the other person to be who we want them to be. And that's true with our spouses or our children or whatever. And, um, you know, I mean, I have to say that watching my father, who I was at Mayo's Clinic quite a few times for open heart surgery and back surgery and so forth, and my mother when she had surgeries and so forth, and then um, our two daughters and Sam, each patient is different. Right. And um, we have to let them be who they are and somehow or they're not want them to be the way we want them to be. And um, that's where self-care comes in mm-hmm. and just figuring out what, you know, not everybody spends the night in the hospital with their loved one. That works for me. I did with 
all of these people. Uh, and you do that because? Um, I just felt, well, I, with our two daughters and Sam, I just felt like um, I, I wanted to be there. Because, you know, in 3 in the morning, there's a skeleton staff, and you press the button, and not every nurse. I mean, the nurses can't come. So I'd go running down the hall in my nightie or whatever, <laughs> you know, so-and-so and so forth. So, yeah. And get help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. selfishly for me, I'm more comforted then right. when I'm there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Not being there is hard. Mm-hmm. Got about a minute and a half left. Okay. Which I know makes you happy. Yes. <laughs> when, when, Sam, when you look back uh, to this experience, uh, what did you learn about yourself? I learned uh, that uh, one has unlimited resources to cope with whatever is dealt. Sometimes you think, how will, how will I ever get through an experience like that? And I found that we have hidden hidden talents for grappling with these tough issues of life. Wow. And you, Lynn? Um, I became much more um, respectful of, of Sam and also our girls to see what they went through. And I also learned this is so selfish and so narcissistic, but I do better as a caregiver than if I were the one suffering the pain. And I learned there's no bridge. When I walked, would watch them suffering, I couldn't feel the pain they were feeling. And this is brutally frank, but to say I was grateful I couldn't because I flunk pain. I was I didn't. Right. Ha- I don't have that much problem being there and supporting, but they were able to get through this pain, and I couldn't cross that bridge. I was on one side of the river, and they were on the other. Well, somehow you helped them cross the bridge, though. I want to add something. Uh, I learned in this experience what William Sloan Coffin, a great minister, once said after he lost his son tragically. He said that God gives us minimal protection but maximal support, and that's what I felt. Wow. Maximal support. We don't have protection, but we have support. It's a perfect place to say thank you both for coming on. Lynn Stahl, Rabbi Sam Stahl, Peaches Hall, pinch hitting today for Carol Zerniel. Up next, take 10 right here on Caregiver SOS on air at 930 a.m. The Answer. Get our bodies moving here. A little exercise. We're into that... uh, little one-minute workout. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Take 10 follows each of our Caregiver SOS segments. And Dr. Jimmy Heisman, who normally joins us, is on special assignment. That's okay. We can play without him. Carol Zerniel is here. I'm here. And I want to set up something that I know you've had a lot of experience with uh, in a variety of capacities as someone who works in the senior field. Uh, I have a neighbor. I've talked about his situation. Uh, He's finally... Uh, put his wife, who's had Alzheimer's for years, into a home. And he was saying to me the other day, uh, we had dropped off a a little holiday gift, and he wrote a beautiful card back, uh, and and we gave him a bottle of wine, and he said uh, he's going to save it and open it uh, on January 12th. It's a a special day uh, in his house. And then we ran into him a few days later, and it turns out it's his wedding anniversary. And he was telling my wife he goes to see his wife, often twice a day, and he knows she doesn't know him. He does it for himself. And the same thing with the wedding anniversary. He's going to celebrate it, uh, even though, from her standpoint, it's meaningless. So how do you carry on and and get the next phase of your life going once you have to put your spouse, if you have to, into a home? Well, I, you know, there's a couple of things. You know, first of all, it's, it's great that he's doing these things for himself. Um, because she may not remember it's their anniversary, and she may not know that he's coming twice a day, but it means something to him, and that's important yeah, so that he he feels good about himself. He still has a relationship, um, and, you know, the the brain is such a mystery, and we know that Alzheimer's destroys the brain and kills all those cells and actually can make your brain look a little bit like Swiss cheese. Uh, but we don't, you know... For those of us that work with people with Alzheimer's, we are their memory, and that's okay for us to carry them. Uh, certainly, that's a, I, I'm sure his wife, if, if she was able to think clearly, 
would would think that was just such a lovely gesture and so much like him that he was honoring their anniversary. I had mentioned, uh, I guess, several months ago that uh, every Saturday he takes her to the beauty shop and gets her hair done, which they always used to do. Uh, and, and again, he does it for himself. Right. And, and he's taking good care of them, or good care of her. And I think that's really important. The other, you know, the the question that you ask is, how does he move on? I, I think that a lot of us think that when we place someone in a residential care facility, that, that we're kind of finished being a caregiver, or, or and it really, it's just a different type of caregiving. So as long as the person is alive, uh, even if they're not in a conversant state, um, it, it, as long as he's getting something out of it and, and spending time with her gives him something, I... I certainly don't think that people who are in a persistent vegetative state, you know, the people that really have no idea what's going on, if if you're going and visiting them and you're not getting anything out of it, do you need to go twice a day? Absolutely not. Um, and so I, I, if Dr. Jamie were here to, with us, he would absolutely be directing us to a support group. If would you're he just not? joining us, he has not passed away. No, no. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. Yeah, he's he's on, only on assignment. Exactly. If Dr. Jamie, Jamie were, were only, only here. here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. Yeah, you're still still right. alive and kicking. Um, so a support but, group but would make would a lot it, of sense. Well, he would say that would be a very good first step to talk with other people who either um, have, have placed their loved ones or, you know, support groups for people that are in hospice because really somebody who's in a nursing home that uh, has Alzheimer's really is in a hospice situation. Uh, they've got a, a limited amount of time that they're going to live because usually people do die of, of pneumonia or something else when they have Alzheimer's. Now, the so, other day he was feeling really guilty, and he said to a couple folks in the neighborhood, we have these conversations in the middle of the street about 7 or 8 at night, and, and he was saying that he thinks he's going to bring his wife back home. And his group of buddies standing in the street said, you don't want to do that. Yeah, 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 because she's probably doing very well, and there must have been a reason he placed her in the first. There was. There was an original was. reason that he placed her. Yeah, and 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 he was feeling guilty. He was fe- he was feeling guilty, and so if if she's happy and and if she's well cared for, he feels good about visiting her. There's no reason for him to take on that care of home. You know, if she's already in the nursing home, but it, it probably it's not. It's a good idea to start thinking about. All right, my life is different. When you do play someone, you're still a caregiver, but your life is different. In that feeling of now, what do I do with myself? Um, you know is a real question. So do it either getting involved in a support group or thinking about things that you would still like to do because most of us, if we really stop and think, there are things that we would still like to do. Maybe it's a painting class. Maybe it's going to the symphony. Maybe it's going to the movie theater. You know, I I read recently about the movie theaters are going the way of Netflix where you're going to be able to get a subscription uh, a monthly subscription to your local movie theater and see as many movies as you want because they've got to compete with the online. They're already doing that in some of the larger cities. And so not that you want all of us want to spend our lives in the movies, but, you know, if you're retired and you're wanting some entertainment, that's a nice thing to be able to do. Well, a little plug for movie theaters. And, and John Santico just passed away a, a couple of weeks ago here in, in San Antonio. He was a genius in, in putting together movie theaters. And uh, there's nothing to compare with the experience in a theater. Well, yeah, in the theater. As it nice a matter. TV as you may have. That's right. Netflix is great. It's if, not the same. Right. And, and we're doing it because we get the subscription and we can watch anything we right. want, you know, from the comfort of our own home. Yeah. But it's also, you know, I love the smell of the popcorn. The I new, do too. The new theaters, I can actually see over the person in front of me most of the <laughs> yeah, time, me, or right. I'm going to move if I can't. If you you're spent tall. your, yeah. You spent your life sitting on your legs, right? Yes, yes. Trying to raise yourself. Propping yourself up or sitting on the very back row so you could stand up if you needed to. I love to sit in the front row. You love to sit on the front row with the craned neck. Yeah, I know, but I just love that sense, especially if it's an action film where it rushes. It doesn't have to be 3D. Where it's just, all rushing right at you. Wow. Now, nobody else I know, including my wife, wants to just do that. I was going to say, I'm going to look <laughs> right. for you next time I'm at the theater. <laughs> Little guy alone down down, front. down at the front staring <laughs> right. at the screen. Yeah. But, you know, finding something that you enjoy, whether it's the or volunteer, arts, it's the physical activity, it's volunteering. You know, maybe uh, getting, you know, giving back. I was listening today on the radio to older people who are going into schools 
and working with kids who nobody read to them, young students, that the kid they didn't grow up having mom and dad read to them because mom and dad either spoke a different language and were right. afraid to read to them in their own language. They thought it would hurt them, which is not true. Any kind of reading is good. Um, or just helping p- kids practice their reading that are a little bit behind. So intergenerational things, if you like kids, or volunteer Meals on Wheels. My grandfather, um, after my grandmother had a stroke and she couldn't get out and about as much, he drove the Meals on Wheels route uh, and delivered meals for years. My mother delivered meals for years. I'm Bernie at the Gronkowski Center. Uh, there's a guy who I did a film on who's 89 years old who drives a Meals on Wheels route. Every day, Monday through Friday. And those people that get that meal, they love the meal. And they, they love eat him. the meal. And they, love, they get that little socialization. They're looking forward to visiting with them. So there are a lot of pick-me-ups in life. I know somebody who um, audited classes in the community college, and a lot of colleges have some sort of a, you know, a, an allowance for older people that want to come back and audit the classes. Uh, you can check into that. So we, we just have to realize that life ain't over till it's over. Uh, and and if we're caring for someone, it's difficult, but we've got to, you know, it, it'd be nice if we would embrace all the time that we have uh, and find other people that can help us transition to the next phase and find that meaning. And meaning might even be sitting on the porch, watching the sun go down. It doesn't have to be something big, but if that, you know, communing with nature and, and thinking about all the wonderful things in your life is the way you want to spend your time, you know, that's okay to do this when you're a caregiver. You don't even have time to do that. That's correct. That's right. So, you know, it's just staying connected. 30 seconds. How do you get over the guilt? Look what I'm doing. I'm enjoying myself. Maybe I shouldn't be. Well, and I don't deserve this. That's where the therapist can come in. That's where the support group can come in. Uh, you know, we've, we've got to embrace all the good things we've done as caregivers and note that we gave it our best every day. Carol Zernio, thank you. Dr. Jamie will be with us for the next Take 10. We carried on without him. Did a nice and, job. And he'll be back. And he will be back. He has not passed away. <laughs> I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. If you want to hear these shows on podcasts, they're available. Go to caregiversos.org, and you can listen to all of the shows that have been done. You can download them and share them with a neighbor. And you can find out, too, about the teleconnection Group therapy, in fact, programs that are available on every topic you can think of. You're listening to 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Caregiver SOS on air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.